Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast. It is Tuesday, May 8th, and I'm your host, Anastasia Glova. Today's episode is a phone conversation with Cato adjunct scholar Tim Lee, who is also one of the founders of the Show Me Institute. He writes prolifically on technology issues, and the subject of our conversation today is how tech patent law has gotten a little out of control. What have the court battles between Vonage and Verizon been about? Well, Verizon sued Vonage over the infringement of, I believe, seven patents, of which the court found Vonage guilty of infringing three of them. So officially, it's about whether Vonage infringed Verizon's patents. I think to look at a little bit of a bigger picture, it's really about Verizon trying to use the patent system in kind of an abusive way to shut down some competitors that threatened one of their core businesses because Vonage sells internet-based telephone services at prices that are in many cases lower than what Verizon is offering, and that really threatens Verizon's core telephone business. Well, what's wrong with Verizon then suing Vonage for violating its patents? Is not the purpose of a patent to protect an invention? Well, the problem here is with the term technology. When people use that language, and that is the language journalists usually use when they talk about cases like this, people really think about some breakthrough new technological advance. What Verizon's patent essentially did, there's three patents, two of which are very similar. The first one patents the concept of doing voice telephony connecting over the internet and connecting it with a wireless device. The patent actually admits that there are lots of wireless telephones on the market already, and there are lots of internet-based telephony applications, but their patent is on the combination of both wireless and the internet. The other patent is a patent on translating between telephone numbers and IP addresses, which are the addresses that computers use to talk to each other on the internet. Now, you really can't create a new voice over internet application without being able to translate between these types of numbers and IP addresses. And so it's problematic because what Verizon is claiming isn't some narrow invention that Vonage could invent around. Verizon is claiming concepts that are simply fundamental to any type of internet-based voice application, at least anyone that connects with the traditional telephone network. And I don't think you can say that Verizon invented the concept of translating between IP addresses and telephone numbers, because that's just a, a very obvious thing you would have to do anytime you wanted to create a new internet-based phone application. In writing about these cases, you refer to obvious innovations. So what exactly are obvious innovations, and how can courts differentiate between what's obvious and what's extraordinary if they're not tech experts? Well, that's that's a difficult question. The law says that you can't get a patent on an invention that is obvious. And the courts have spent a great deal of time over the last, well, really since over the last two centuries, since the country was started, trying to figure out what exactly constitutes an obvious patent. And it's shifted a fair amount over the last quarter century. Congress created a special court called the United States Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit that has exclusive jurisdiction now over patent appeals below the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court has largely left the Federal Circuit to make the rules regarding patents, and the Federal Circuit has come up with a series of tests that are very permissive in terms of what kinds of patents are permitted. And so patents that all of us would think are perfectly common sense, that they're too obvious to be patentable, the Federal Circuit's rules have effectively allowed you to get a patent on them, and the result has been this explosion of patents that most people, I think, would think are not reasonable things to get patents on. Yes, but why such an explosion of patents? Why are companies doing this, scrambling to get as many patents as they can possibly get their hands on? 
Well, as the Federal Circuit handed down a series of rulings that made it easier to get patents and that removed a lot of the restrictions on what things can be patented and how obvious a concept can be before it's allowed to be patented, what has happened is that you've had a number of cases where companies patent very fundamental ideas. So, for example, last year we had a case involving the BlackBerry where a small company got a patent, essentially of the concept of checking your email wirelessly. And they sued Research in Motion, which is the company that creates the BlackBerry, and managed to effectively extort $600 million from them in order to purchase the privilege of building a wireless email system. And the small company called NTP itself had never actually developed a wireless email system that any significant number of customers used. So their, their only product was this patent and the lawsuits that they filed based on it. So what companies have done is that they're very afraid that some other company will sue them. And what they've done in response is sort of the patent equivalent of nuclear stockpiling. They file for dozens or hundreds or even thousands of patents in the hopes that if some company sues them, they can look through their patent portfolio and find a patent that one of their competitors have infringed and countersue. And then what usually happens in these circumstances is that the companies sign cross-licensing agreements where they just agree not to sue each other. And then they go about their business and basically ignore their patent portfolios. Is there a way for technology companies to work around the obvious patents? It depends on the patent, but in many cases, no. In the case of the BlackBerry, for example, it's really not possible to build a useful wireless device that doesn't do what the patent describes. And the same is true, I think, of the Verizon Vonage patents. Verizon's patent covers translating between phone numbers and IP addresses. If you can't do that, you pretty much can't design a useful internet telephone service. And so really, if these patents are not struck down, what we're doing is we're giving the companies that hold these patents effective monopolies over entire markets. In the case of Verizon, they're giving Verizon the power to prevent other companies from competing with them in the telephone market. And I think that's very troubling because competition is fundamental to the free enterprise system. In that case, what about software? You know, most software code can't really be considered original or innovative because programmers build on previously written code. So how do software companies protect their patents? Well, I'm not sure I would say that they can't be considered innovative, but the patentability of software is a very controversial subject. And about a quarter century ago, it was generally believed that software couldn't be patented. And that changed very gradually over the course of the 1980s and the 1990s until in 1998, the Federal Circuit essentially ruled that software can be patented with pretty much no restrictions at all. And it's very troubling because I wouldn't say that software is not innovative, but software tends to be very incremental. When you develop new software, you're taking a lot of software components that other people have already created, and you're combining them in fairly straightforward ways to build more complex systems. And so there are a lot of places where you can, if you can patent one of those basic components, you really can put up a roadblock that bars a lot of other companies from using that component that prevents them from doing a lot of useful things with software. And so I think software is particularly prone to sort of choking off innovation by giving companies the ability to claim fundamental aspects of the software industry. Coming back to Vonage then, what did the court say in its rulings last Monday? The Supreme Court handed down two important rulings. One was maybe a little bit more of a peripheral issue, which was about whether software companies could be liable for software they export overseas. And in that case, the Supreme Court basically said that when you export software overseas, if the software is duplicated overseas, that's subject to the foreign company's patent laws rather than the domestic companies. The other and probably the most more important one was the Teleflex 
ruling. And that addressed this concept of obviousness that we've been talking about. And the Supreme Court really, their message to the Federal Circuit was, look, you have to bring some common sense into this. They used the phrase common sense three or four times in their decision. And they basically said that unless you can find a written source demonstrating that this invention had already been known about, that you couldn't make a finding of obviousness. And the Supreme Court said, no, you can. You can use your common sense. If you have something that just common sense says is obvious, you're allowed to rule that it's obvious without having to find some text somewhere that exactly says that this particular invention can be created. Can you give me an example of an invention that common sense would dictate is pretty obvious? I would go back to the examples we've been talking about. I mean, I think the concept of checking your email with a wireless device, that patent was filed in the 1990s. And by the time the patent was filed, email was a very widely known phenomenon. I mean, it hadn't reached the mass market the way it has today, but there were millions of people who had internet connections and were using email. And obviously, wireless technology was widely understood. We had radios and you know, a few people had cell phones and so forth. And so the concept of combining wireless technology with email, just taking those two obvious technologies and combining them in a straightforward way, it seems to me common sense says that there's no reason a company should get a patent just because they're the first person to think of that combination. Because you can think of lots of other combinations of you know, two components that just people hadn't combined before. But if there's no special innovation in the process of combining them, if you're just combining them in a very straightforward way, it's not obvious how that's, how that's particularly innovative. Is there a sensible way to reform these patent laws so that they don't get in the way of innovation? Well, I think the Supreme Court has been moving in the right direction on that. A big part of the problem was that for about 20 years, the Supreme Court, as I said, basically just left the decisions about patent law to the Federal Circuit. And the Federal Circuit, I think, sort of has gone off the rails. The last year and a half or so, the Supreme Court has taken much more interest. They've handed down the two decisions we just talked about from Monday. They also handed down a decision last year on the question of when a court could grant an injunction, which would like shut down a company that's infringing a patent. And they said that the courts have to set a higher bar before they're allowed to hand down injunctions. So I would say that the Supreme Court is gradually picking away at the problems with the current state of patent law. And my sense is that they're probably going to take more cases in the next few years to continue to reform it. There are some efforts in Congress to pass new patent reform laws, but I'm not super impressed with any of the proposals there. I think there is some good stuff in what Congress is doing, but I think that it might be worthwhile to wait for another year or two to see what else the Supreme Court does, let the law become settled before Congress steps in and regulates some more. Thank you, Tim. And thanks for listening to Cato Daily Podcast. Be sure to check out the new Cato Weekly video. Episode 2 is out today on the website, www.cato.org.